Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So the U.S. U-20s just finished up their U-20 World Cup, falling to Uruguay in the quarterfinals in a really disappointing game. Really felt like the boys could have done a lot more in that tournament. That being said, as the tournament has come to an end, there's a lot of people looking at this squad wondering, are they going to be as good as the 2019 squad that saw three players graduate from the youth team up to the senior team level to become regulars with that squad? What does this mean for U.S. soccer? What does this mean for player development in this country? I think there's a lot of interesting questions in regard to that. There's also a lot of just nonsense narratives being driven that were there prior to this tournament that are now there after that always seems to come about uh, whenever the U.S. bows out of an international tournament, just the reoccurring things that I think we're going to address. But I think we're going to start out with kind of looking at the players, looking at the squad, looking at how they performed and kind of evaluating each of them and getting some thoughts on on some of those players and where we think that they're going to end up, uh, at least in the near future, as it regards to the 2026 World Cup cycle. All that and more on this episode of The Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is The Yank Report, a show about all things American soccer. If you're into that, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We're going to start with the standout players from this year's U20 squad after a word from this week's sponsor. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball news, stats, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest match reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL, hockey, golf to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right now from your home. Get into the action today, so head over to our website and use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So as we headed into this U-20 World Cup, I think the narrative surrounding this team was largely that you had a a, a group of competent players who um, had some quality with the ball and a lot of professional experience amongst them, but you weren't going to find the top shelf, top end players, uh, the guys like Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reina, Tyler Adams, uh, Weston McKinney, that were really going to be the, the next generation of stars for the U.S. men's national team. It, it was a quality group, but not necessarily players with that star potential. With this particular group, I think the big player was going to be Gaga Slonina, and I think that he showed it in the moments where he did have the opportunity to save some shots. I think he came through in a big way. Of course, at his age, I mean, he's still a teenager, and he's already had such a storied career as far as already being a regular starter for his MLS club and then getting the big move to Chelsea. There's a lot of 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 story left to be written whenever it comes to Gaga and considering his age, probably not going to be the starter uh, in 2026 with guys like Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath entering their prime. But he is thought to be that that guy that's going to take over when those guys are a little bit older. Maybe by the time he hits 22, 22, 24 years old, something like that, we can really start assessing this player and see what he's going to be. But but as of right now, he's got to be the standout and most exciting player of this group. Of the other guys, you're hearing a lot of chatter about Cade Cowell, I think, coming into the tournament. He's always thought to be this player who's a phenomenal athlete, has this great burst of pace, but doesn't quite have the technical and tactical side to really be a top-end player in this tournament, I think we saw Cade sort of establish himself as the most dynamic uh, attacking player that we had, at least the most threatening and cutting edge attacking player that we had. And I think he showed signs that maybe 
judging a teenager a little bit too early is not the wisest thing in the world whenever it comes to player development. His ability with the ball at his feet and his ability with his athleticism are things that can make an impact at higher and higher levels than we may have initially thought. I think he's still got a ways to go. I think um, the tactical side, especially whenever you consider where he was a couple of years ago compared to now, I think you can see that he's he's getting better and better in that respect. You, you have to wonder if, if Kate Cow is going to start to be in that area where he's on the fringe for the U.S. Men's National Team. He's already gotten call-ups to the U.S. Men's National Team. Is he going to be one of those Gold Cup guys? His position group at winger and at attacker are some spots where the U.S. have really young players who were far ahead of him at this point. So it's going to be really difficult for him to break into that group. But if you game it out for like the top six wingers in the pool, you know, once you get past Taylor Booth and Alejandro Zendejas, uh, then you start getting into Paul Ariola and Jordan Morris in that category of player. And you wonder if if Kate Cowell can't start to compete with those guys, if not now, then sooner rather than later. I think that's where I see him at the moment. Uh, moving on, we've got Diego Luna. I, I think Diego Luna is always a fan favorite. The way that he plays, the way that he can take over games and just be that flair player that I think the U.S. has always wanted. I think once we got to the uh, Uruguay game and once Uruguay started to put the clamps on, we saw a little bit from Diego Luna that we're seeing in MLS. The reason why he's not seeing the field so much for RSL, it's when the going gets tough, whenever you're not allowed to, uh, able to play that free-flowing soccer how does he find the game? Does he have the athleticism to keep up with some of these guys? Um, and, and I think that was the story against Uruguay, where Uruguay was this very disciplined athletic team, I think similar to what you might find in MLS. Uh, and Diego Luna kind of disappeared there, and it's sort of what we're seeing at RSL. Uh, I, I think if you see that the Diego Luna with the ball at his feet and, and see him orchestrating and see him whenever he's really cooking, like you understand that this is a different level of player uh, technically with the ball at his feet. And it's just that athleticism, I think, that's going to be that final step in his career. I, I don't know if he projects to be a, a, a senior team player and then the at the level beyond that, at like the Gold Cup level or whatever you want to call the U.S. Men's National Team B team, you kind of wonder where he fits in there. I, I don't know with Diego Luna. I think the, the thing for him is he's just got to start to figure it out in MLS. He's got to become a regular player over there. He's got to be so productive that... He demands playing time. He demands that their system kind of changes to meet what he's able to do. If he can reach that level, then you can start talking about, you know, Gold Cup level player, U.S. men's national team fringe level player. Uh, but until then, I don't know. Let's move on to Jack McGlynn, the first of the Philadelphia Union players. Jack McGlynn, I mean, the guy is a wizard with the ball at his feet as far as his passing range. He was probably the second best passer on the team behind Brandon Craig, who we'll get to in a second. Jack McGlynn, similar to Diego Luna in that athleticism is going to be the limiting factor in his ability to play. I, I think ever since the gig and pressing era entered the world of soccer, just the quality, the baseline athleticism required to play at the highest level has just gone up by leaps and bounds. You look at the midfield for the U.S. men's national team, and depending on what the future coach decides to do, whether it's a three-man midfield or a two-man midfield with more of an attacking 10 at the front, I mean, that just limits the spots available for midfielders. And if you consider the age of McKinney and Adams, who are both, I think, around 24 years old, 
And then Yunus Musa, who is even young. What is he? What is he right now? 18, 19 years old right now. There are some pretty good players playing at a high level that are going to be difficult to displace in that lineup. So is McGlynn going to be able to surpass someone like Luca Della Torre or Johnny Cardoso or somebody like that in the coming years? That's the task ahead of him. Somebody who I think actually can make an impact is Obed Vargas. Vargas is one of the younger players on this roster. And I think I wasn't expecting him to get a lot of minutes in this tournament, but it felt like every time he was on the field, he was making action plays all over the place. His range and his ability to get all around and connect were really impressive. And I think compared to some of these other guys that we're talking about in McGlynn and Diego Luna, I think Obed Vargas does have that range and that ability. I mean, you see him, what was he, 16, 17 years old when he made his debut for the Seattle Sounders and just had that poise and that that ability to uh, come into that midfield and start contributing right away. I, I think you have to be impressed by everything that you've seen from Obed Vargas, both at a youth and professional level so far. I think he's a really interesting player. The, the issue with him is he's so young and he's been injured for, uh, uh, he missed a considerable amount of time last season due to injury that there are a lot of unknowns about him. But I think if anybody from this midfield is going to make it out to that next level from, from this group, from this U20 team, Obed Vargas is the one that I would probably put my vote behind. I was really impressed by him. Speaking of players who are wonderful with the ball at their feet, but don't quite have that athleticism, I think Brandon Craig is that guy right now. I mean, he made some passes uh, during this U20 camp that were just unreal. Arguably some of the best passes that we've seen of anybody in the U.S. men's national team pool. His highlight reel is incredible. The issue for him, like so many of these other guys, is having that athletic ability to play at that next level. When he's got guys who are athletes that are technical and tactical coming down the field at him, is he able to turn and run with him? That's going to be the limiting factor for Brandon Craig because we know what he can do with the ball at his feet. Is he going to have that athletic ability to even crack into the Philadelphia Union lineup? I mean, that's going to be the question. If he's able to do it in MLS, the, uh, a more physical league, I think that's going to go a long way towards giving him opportunities with the senior team. Because remember, when we look at the senior team, I mean, center back is one of these position groups that there is opportunity to crack into. It's not like there's a lot of 24-year-olds at the center back position uh, that are locked down players for the U.S. men's national team for the next 10 years. There are opportunities for, for Brandon Craig, uh, Justin Shea, uh, Jalen Neal, just a lot of these guys at this age group. It's a question of are any of them going to be that player that we are hoping they can be. Speaking of athletes, Caleb Wiley is a player that I think a lot of people have taken notice of, not only because of what he's doing uh, at Atlanta United, but because the left-back position for the U.S. men's national team is, is in a difficult spot and has been for a number of years. And I guess we can lump in Caleb Wiley and Kevin Paredes in this group right here. Uh, Caleb Wiley has been really impressive for Atlanta United so far this season. He's gotten some goals. Um, he's been deployed both as a winger and as a left-back. I think you got to be impressed with his his tactical understanding of the game. I think he times his runs really well. I, I like the way that he gets into the final third. A little bit concerned about his final ball, a little bit concerned about um, at least what, I, what I've watched him at Atlanta United. Uh, doesn't necessarily take players on, kind of would rather have open field to run into. I, I think he's a little bit further away from the senior national team than we'd like him to be. But I think he he was certainly has the athleticism in order to project to that level. 
And I think he's showing signs of that that technical and tactical ability. All those signs point to a bright future for Caleb Wiley. Now we get to Kevin Paredes, the player who is uh, a contributor over at Wolfsburg. He's not starting very often, but uh, he is regularly getting minutes off the bench at the tail end of games. Now Paredes was not with this group initially. He didn't get released by his club until the knockout rounds of this tournament. And whenever he did arrive, he didn't come in as a starter. He was coming in off the bench. We were, I think... U.S. men's national team fans were hoping to see a little bit more of Paredes, hoping to see him start, but Varus ended up opting with the hot hand, and it's difficult to fault him there. And especially considering whenever Paredes did come on, you didn't really see him contributing uh, that much higher than the guy he was replacing. I think that can be said for a lot of the players in this group. I thought um, the quality was pretty evenly dispersed throughout all the players in this group. It was difficult to even identify who should be starter and backup in most cases. For Paredes, you didn't see like this massive impact from him whenever he he got on the field. Now, that being said, Paredes is still one of the players considered to be on the cusp of the senior U.S. men's national team, and a lot of that comes down to position. The left-back position for the uh, senior team is a, a position of need. I mean, you have Anthony Robinson and then not a whole lot else. I mean, you have Serginho Dest and Joe Scally who can each play that position, but it's not really their natural position. Uh, So anybody that can play left back is being circled as a hot prospect to watch, especially one who just made a a big move to the Bundesliga from MLS as a teenager. The thing for him is just going to be getting regular minutes in the Bundesliga and what position he's ultimately going to play. Now, following these big tournaments, there's always discussion about you know what does this mean what did this team lack what does this mean for the U.S.'s position of where they stand as far as the other great soccer nations in the world is the U.S. making progress what does this mean for player development and just like every other big nation the U.S. did not bring all the best players they possibly could have there was a bunch left behind I think most notably Ricardo Pepe Uh, if you look at this U-20 team The big glaring hole in this team was just not having a striker, a player that everybody was comfortable playing it into. And I think that that really reared its ugly head against Uruguay, where the U.S. ultimately lost because they just didn't have that presence in the middle. However, probably the best prospect so far of this group, Ricardo Pepe, a guy who's already graduated to the senior squad, is a part of this class. He just wasn't with this group. So that kind of fills in a gap right there. Another player who could have potentially played that role was Paxton Aronson. He didn't get released. He was with uh, his club, Eintracht Frankfurt, who actually played in the DFB Pokal final. He didn't actually get into that game, which is a bit disappointing. I know uh, if he wasn't going to play in that game, it would have been great to see him uh, with this group in that Uruguay game. I think he's a player that could have made a difference, especially in the center of the park. We know how many goals he scored in the CONCACAF U-20 tournament. And if you look at players who project to the national team, I think Paxson Aronson has, has to be one of those players at the top of the list, especially if the U.S. are going to move forward with more of a number 10 player. You know, you have Gio Reyna who can play that position, but behind him, who's it going to be? Uh, Brendan Aronson could potentially do it, but he's a very different player to Gio Reyna, Alejandro Zendejas, Taylor Booth. These are all guys who can play that role, but I think there's a drop-off. Maybe Paxton Aronson can fill in that gap a little bit better than some of these other guys at that position. He's got all the grit and scrap of his brother, but maybe a little bit more cutting edge, maybe a little bit more quality, a little bit more guile and tactical awareness, ability to break down opposition and, and get goals himself. I, I think Paxton Aronson is absolutely 
a player in this class. It, it's one to watch. Another one is going to be Brian Gutierrez. Uh, he's playing with Chicago Fire right now. He's a player that's become so important to that squad that they didn't release him. He's a player that is garnering European interest right now. Noel Buck is a player for the New England Revolution that has everybody excited right now. There's a little bit of dual national panic with Noel Buck. He ended up not representing England with the U18s in this latest call-up, which was a big worry for a lot of people. Alejandro Alvarado is one of my favorite players from this class. I love the way that he receives the ball in the center of the park and, and can beat players on the half turn and on the full turn. Probably could have been a presence with this group. And this game against Uruguay that the U.S. just really failed once the chips were down to really have much of the ball and have much of a presence in that midfield. I think Alejandro Alvarado could have been a player that you could put the ball into his feet and he could at least slow things down, establish some control, establish some tempo and get some belief back in the squad, whether or not the U.S. end up being Uruguay with Alvarado on the field. I, I wouldn't go that far, but I think he would have contributed. He's just another player in, in this group that... It's just a lot of lottery tickets. It's just a lot of players that are being produced right now that have a lot of tactical and technical ability on the ball, something that we didn't necessarily say about players being produced uh, by the U.S. development system a generation ago. Um, they're just they're coming out the, the gates right now, coming out the, the academies a little bit more complete. And it's going to be a little bit more interesting to see where these players end up in the next four years. When we talk about big picture, that's one of the things that we talk about. I mean, the 2019 group is the group that everybody's going to compare this group to. And the difference is the, the ability with the ball, the, the technical and tactical ability, the baseline across the board with this 2023 group was just head and shoulders what we saw. From that 2019 group, they controlled possession. They controlled the ball. They dictated to the opponents exactly how this game, how the game was going to be played. Their ability to just link up and, and just create these really silky scoring opportunities was really phenomenal to watch. I think the big difference is the 2019 had some big time prospects that were considered players that were going to be can't miss guys that were going to contribute to the U.S. men's national team right away. This group, not so much. It's, the difference is, instead of having big stars in 2019, there was more quality dispersed across the board. And I, I think if you're really thinking about the win of this particular group, it's that the U.S. is pumping out quality across the board in a way that just wasn't the case in 2019. And, and I think that that's indicative of the growth of the U.S. soccer player development and I think that's a story that's really worth being told. You hear so many people talk about how U.S. soccer develops players versus how some of the big European nations develop players. Are we on the right path? Are we doing the right things? And I think it just has to be reiterated over and over again how new the U.S. is to this world of, of soccer. The current development system that we have really you can trace its roots back to 20, uh, 2007, which is whenever the U.S. Soccer Development Academies got started. Uh, so the actual modern development system that we have is only, what, uh, 13 years old, something like that. The oldest players from our modern development system are players that are 24 years old, 25 years old. You're looking at guys like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams. So the bleeding edge of our modern development system, the, the oldest guys are 24 years old. And it frustrates me that so many people are already looking to write the story, write the narrative about U.S. soccer development 
when these guys, even the the guys at the very beginning, the 1.0s are still so young in their careers. They still have so much that's left to be written. I think we need to wait a little while before we we make some big statements about how U.S. soccer is developing players. Ultimately, if you look at how many players we're putting out right now and their baseline technical and tactical ability, I think it's certainly been a step up than what you would have saw 10 years ago or even five years ago. It's just getting better and better and better. To ignore the progress that's been made over the last 10 years, um, over the last what like 15 years of the U.S. development system, is is really frustrating because at this point in time, all MLS academies are free up to a certain age. And a lot of these academies that are not MLS academies, there's financial aid available, there is um, dispensations and scholarships and whatever else. Um, there's a lot of strides that have been made in, in this particular category. And I think it's paying dividends in a big way. I mean, you look at some of these U20 players and you consider the backgrounds that they've come from. Um, you look at some of the players on the senior team right now and some of the backgrounds that they've come from. While there are some players who were from upper middle class and had wealthy parents, not all of them are. Some of them are coming from some of those uh, smaller, poorer backgrounds. Some of the um, some of them with immigrant parents, that type of thing. Uh, which is that what we've always wanted? We've always wanted the the opportunity for players who don't have uh, the 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 financial resources to have the opportunity, have the pathways to become professional soccer players. And a lot of the players. Uh, in this U20 group, a lot of the players who are in the U20 pool, some of the players who are on the senior national team at right right now are living proof that the system is beginning to um, find these players and give them pathways to become successful in American soccer. And I think it's a very good thing. And I think we do a big disservice to ourselves to not recognize that point and to continue to belabor these tired tropes that American soccer is discriminating against these players and that they're they're targeting these players and trying to keep them out whenever the reality is so much progress and so many resources have been sent towards fixing that problem. Um, it, it's frustrating to me. And I think it does a disservice to what's actually happening in the development systems across American soccer who are churning out these players who are coming into MLS, coming into the league um, as much better technical and tactical players than the players of generation before them. And certainly much better than the players who were around uh, prior to the academies or even when the academies first got started. And I think all that speaks to moving in the direction that we want to as a soccer nation. I think we can look at this team, this U20 team and be frustrated that there are no Polisics, There's no Reynas. There's no Tyler Adams. There's no guys that are probably going to come into this 2026 tournament and start contributing as one of the stars. Um, that's frustrating. But at the same time, you got to consider that this is a long-term game, that player development is not something that you can flip a light switch and start doing something, and you're going to see dividends right away. This is something that uh, whenever you invest the time and resources into, you're not going to see the dividends for that for a long period of time because these players are 11, 10, 12 years old whenever they enter the academies. It's going to be another eight, 10 years before you start seeing them at the professional level. That's just the reality of player development. So to think that um, you're going to be able to make some changes and just see world-class players start popping out right and left um, is a bit foolish, especially when you consider that, I mean, there are very few nations in the world that can reliably produce world-class players, and the U.S. isn't quite on that level yet. 
the thing that we're looking for, the thing that we want to see is progress. And I think that we're seeing that. Now, there's still hurdles in player development and MLS. I, I know one of the big issues that we have right now, and one of the issues that's facing a lot of these players is that the quality of the second division in MLS, the uh, MLS pro level, is just not very good. And the quality at MLS is just a little bit too good. So you have a lot of these players that are stuck sort of in between the MLS pro level and the senior team level, um, figuring out how to get these guys that are not quite ready for MLS but are too good for MLS Pro to get reps against quality players, quality opposition is a big hurdle moving forward. It is a win to have a generation of players come through, even if none of them turn out to be starters at the senior team level, to raise the bar for what it means to be a a young MLS player or a young American player or a player to make the Gold Cup roster or whatever it'll be. Uh, Just continuing to raise that bar is a very good thing. This is a long-term project and it's not something that's going to be done overnight. Um, It's something that's going to take years and years and years. And, And I think what we're seeing right now is indicative of that progress and the resources being poured in. So those are my thoughts on the U20s. I'm curious about your thoughts. Did I miss any players that you thought are are really going to be standouts in the coming years? Uh, What are your thoughts about some of these guys? I I know that there's some fan favorites in there and guys like Diego Luna and Caleb Wiley and Jack McGlynn. Uh, So let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, What do you think this, this, this squad means for the progression of American soccer, if it means anything at all? What are your thoughts on that? Let me know in the comment section. Thank you guys so much for watching, for liking, subscribing. If you want the Yank Report and Podcast form, you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. If you're taking a road trip or something, you can throw it on and listen to a few episodes if you're so inclined. Thank you guys for, for watching. Thank you for becoming members and directly supporting the channel. Shout out to my members, Manuel Arivarez, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, Dan McVeigh, Mike Irish, Aaron M., Expats Everywhere, and Aaron Silva. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.